Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Robbie. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, and we are picking up this morning in verse 9. We're going to talk about the important subject of prayer. Now, we talked before about the fact that the Lord had given thanks to God for the Colossian believers. But he also wants to pray for their spiritual lives. And he suggests several things for which he is praying. I'm going to read this again very quickly because this is a passage that is extremely deep in its understanding. And it's very important that we pay close attention to each of the words because there is great significance in the words we find in this passage. Paul writes and he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled. Now here's an important phrase. To be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What's that all about? Well, I hope today by the time we leave we'll know what it's all about that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. What does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? Again, we'll talk about that, Lord willing. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And that's what I'd like to cover this morning, and we'll see how far we make it. All right? But we will work on it today. What we find here are a list of prayer requests. You know, one of the things about the Apostle Paul that is so interesting is that when he gets writing, he doesn't know when to stop. If you look carefully, you will see that just about everything I've read is one sentence. And he just throws some commas in there and just keeps right on a farming. And sometimes we can be like that too, can't we? But we want to learn and kind of tear this, this prayer apart. And, and I want to just ask God now in prayer to help us as we study together. Let's bow together. Lord, we are here and we are ready. We want your spirit to speak to us. We do not want to be hearers only of the word of God. We want to be doers of the work. We want to put it into practice. We want to understand it, but then we want to live it out in our daily lives. And Father, I'm convinced that everything Paul was praying for these Colossians, we need to be praying for one another in Christ. And so, Lord, teach us today. Help us to understand. And we'll be careful to praise you, Lord, for all that you'll teach us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 
Now, there are four major things that I want to answer, four questions. And the first one is this. Why did Paul pray? Why did Paul pray for the Colossian believers? And I want to suggest to you that the motive that prompted Paul to pray for the Colossian Christians was the good testimony that he had received from Epaphras. We mentioned Epaphras was the pastor of the church. He had gone to see Paul to bring a testimony of the church. He did talk to them, yes, about some doctrinal issues that Paul was going to help them with. But he had shared three very positive things with Paul about the Colossians. Do you remember what they are? We talked about them several times. First of all, their faith in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. He also talked about their love for who? Not God, but for the saints. And then lastly, the hope that they had of an inheritance in heaven. He says, I'm so thankful for all of these things. And because I'm so thankful for all of these things, I want to pray for you. Now, Paul knew that they had some doctrinal issues. He will deal with those in chapter 2. And we're going to go into great detail when we get there. But what I want you to see is that Paul noticed first of all the good points of the church. <laughs> he says, you're people of faith. You're people of love. You're people of hope. And isn't that how we want to be known? Not only in the church, but in the world? That we have those three qualities in our lives? Paul had heard a good report, and then he says, and so I want to pray for you. Now, I don't know about you, but usually we think about praying for people when they're in trouble. Right? If they're sick, we pray for them when they're sick. If they're going through some difficulty, we pray for them in their difficulty. But Paul says, I'm so excited about your great testimony, man, I'm going to pray for you. Folks, listen, I'm convinced that we need to pray for people maybe even more in times of blessing and prosperity. You want to know why? There's a tendency that when we have everything going well in our lives, what do we do? We begin to trust ourselves. And that's a very dangerous thing. We kind of get this little bit of confidence. Oh, everything's going great. And so we're not as careful. We're not watching for the potential dangers that are out there. So we tend to trust in ourselves. Secondly, we tend to become overconfident. You probably know this verse. I'm sure many have memorized it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he what? Lest he fall. If you become overconfident, you are going to become careless, and that is when your feet are going to trip up. So he says, be careful, don't be too overconfident. I'm going to pray for you while things are going well because there's danger out there in good times. Lastly, we can tend to become slack or indifferent. When things are going good, you know what we tend to do sometimes? Ignore the Bible. We kind of ignore prayer or, or our prayer life becomes very on the surface. I mean, after all, everything's going well. So we just press ahead. 
But if we're not careful, we'll soon be in a lot of trouble. So I think he's praying for them because he heard this wonderful testimony about a wonderful group of Christians. And he says, I want to make sure that you don't become overly confident. And I'm going to pray for you that you will be able to walk with God in a way that will be pleasing to the Lord. So there are three things that I want you to notice that characterized Paul's prayer life. In verse 9, he says, we haven't ceased to pray since when? Since the day we heard of your testimony. So he was instant in prayer. In other words, he began praying for them immediately after hearing about them. Is that how you are when it comes to hearing about people's needs for prayer? Do you just immediately say, I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to pray? Or do we tell ourselves, we will pray about this, and we don't do it right away, and sometimes, guess what? We never get to it. Right? That can happen. One of the things about Facebook that I do like is that when there's an urgent need, and I have friends and family and so on, we'll put on, please pray about this. I try to stop right that moment. Or if someone sends me a message on Messenger, I don't write back and say, I will pray for you. I stop and I pray, and then I... Write them back and say, I'll pray for you. <laughs> we need to be instant in prayer. The moment we hear of the need, we need to pray. Secondly, he was constant in his prayer. He says, since I heard, I don't cease to pray for you, which suggests he prayed more than once. He prayed over and over again for them. You know this verse too. One of the shortest in the Bible. Pray without ceasing. So I will see you here at 12 noon, and we're going to be on our knees at the front until 12 noon tomorrow. Is that okay? I mean, is that what Paul is actually saying here? No, he's not. He knew that people couldn't just stop and for 24 hours without ceasing pray. They couldn't do that. Maybe on a given special occasion, but that's not something you're going to do every day. But it doesn't mean that we stop praying. We need to be continually praying. How do you do that? It isn't necessarily on my knees beside the bed. It may be while I'm driving my car down the road. Should be. Especially the way some people drive. Not me, of course. I believe this with all of my heart. Constancy in prayer demands an attitude of God consciousness. You don't think about God, you aren't going to what? Pray. Do you know why before church I was down here talking to Angel? You want to know why? Because I was sitting right there and she was sitting right there. And guess what? I was conscious of Angel. And so we communicated. They did that with other people as well. Listen, I need to be God conscious so that I'm continually talking to my God. And it's not just something that I, that I fit into a 15-minute period of the day, but rather my 24-7 should be something devoted to prayer in as much as I can be conscious of God and draw Him into every single thing that I'm doing through the day. I was sharing with Brother Curran the other day that one of the things I've been trying to do as I am living my life, and I spend a lot of time in that parsonage alone, you know, and I'm doing a lot of studying. 
I got so many messages prepared now since this coronavirus. I, I, I could quit preparing and be preaching for several months now. And that's great. I've enjoyed all of this study. But you know what? I want to make sure that I don't study alone. But while I'm doing all that study, I'm conscious of my God. And I'm talking to him about the passage I'm studying. And I'm asking him questions. And I was saying to Karen, I said, I've been trying to make myself think. In the morning when I get up, go through the things I plan to do through the day. Now, yesterday it happened to be laundry was part of my day. And I said, Lord, in my earliest prayer time in the morning, I said, Lord, when it comes time to walk down those stairs, Lord, I want you to walk down those stairs with me. And I want you to walk over to that machine with me, Lord, and help me to haul that stuff out of that machine. And then I want you to walk with me back up the stairs. I want to be conscious of you right at my side. I want to tell you something. I will be more apt to pray when I live like that. Don't you think? Because no matter what happens, he's right there. And I'm conscious of him, so I will turn to him. Here's a good example from the scripture, Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah had gotten the word about Jerusalem that it was all you know, broken down the walls and, and the temple was destroyed and all of that. And he was very sad about this. And he went into the presence of King Ahasuerus. He was, he was a servant of the king. And one of the things is, when you're depressed, you don't take your depression into the king. Kings don't like depressed people around right? They want you to be in a good spirit, a good attitude. And he looks over and here is Nehemiah, so overwhelmed, so sad because of the condition of things in Jerusalem that he can't help but just have a, a sad look on his face. And King Ahasuerus says to him, what's this I see on your face? What's wrong? Why are you sad? You know what he said? Uh, he told him about what was going on in Jerusalem, that there was his people and so on. And it says, and notice verse 4, it says, Then the king said to me, what do you request? Now what did Nehemiah want? He wanted to be allowed to leave the service of the king for a period of time to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to be all involved in that process. That's what he wanted. And the king sees his sadness, he explains why he's sad, he says, okay, so what are you requesting? What is it you want? Notice his response was, I want to go to Jerusalem. Is that what it says? Look at the screen. What does that say? He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, I am sure he already knew what he wanted. Right? He already knew. He didn't have to go to God and say, God, would you reveal your will to me? He was convinced he ought to go. What he wanted was the king to say, yes, and he had no control over that. Only God could control that. So he says, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. If he had not been God conscious, he wouldn't have immediately thrown up that little prayer to the Lord. And it probably was one of those help Lord prayers. Do you ever pray some of those? You know, as you're heading off the road into the tree, help, Lord! That's about all the time you got. But constancy in prayer demands an attitude of God consciousness. And if I am not conscious of Him, I am not going to tend to turn to God in prayer. 
I think prayer needs to be, and you've probably heard this idea before, that prayer is sort of a spiritual breathing process. I mean, we, we have to breathe all the time, right? I mean, we, how many of you sit here and tell your body, breathe, breathe, breathe? You don't. It's just a natural thing that your body does, right? Have you ever been just sitting there and suddenly you catch a deep, take a great deep breath because you realize you hadn't been breathing? Anyone ever have that happen? I mean, that, that happens to me a lot. I don't know why, but it does. Now go like this. I go, oh, wow, I didn't even realize I'd stop breathing. But breathing is something natural. I, I said to my doctor, I said, I'm concerned because I keep stopping breathing. He says, believe me, he says, your body is made with certain things that are going to happen and it's going to wake you to the fact you don't have air. Promise you. He says, it'll do it. I want to suggest to you that prayer ought to be like that. No matter what I face in life, it ought to jumpstart me and say, pray, 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 pray. The third thing I want you to see about his prayer is that he was fervent in his prayer. He said this, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask. Now this is a very strong word in the original language. I mean, when I say ask, I can, I can just ask. Or I can ask, right? This is a ask. This is a, this is a forceful asking. The idea is something that you desire, that you are prepared to beg for. The word is sometimes even translated to demand something. That's the kind of asking here. Now, what is he asking? To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Is that an important thing to know, God's will? Is that an important thing to know, God's will? Going like this, because see, see, I can't keep preaching until I realize you're still all alive out there, and you know, then I'll carry on. James says, any old prayer will work. Is that what James says? No, you see it on the screen, right? The effective, what is an effective prayer? An effective prayer is one that gets heard and answered. Doesn't always get answered the way I want it necessarily, but it gets answered. The effective and then fervent prayer. Anyone ever put yourself to sleep praying? Would you describe that prayer time as a fervent time of prayer? He says the effective fervent prayer of a what kind of man? Any old man? No, a righteous man. That doesn't mean a perfect man, but that means a man who is in fellowship with God or a woman who's in fellowship with God. And what does that kind of prayer accomplish? It avails much. Have you not seen God do great and mighty things for you? I, I had a wonderful answer to prayer about a week ago. Some of you know that I've been having a lot of trouble with my computer. I lost one computer two months ago, a, a desktop that I had, and I, there was no repairing it. So it was gone and I lost everything because I had not backed anything up. So that wasn't very smart. But anyway, that one was gone. And then I had a laptop that I've had for like eight years 
And it was taking me almost an hour to get that thing to boot up in the morning. And I'd just wait there, and then when I'd try to get it to go, and if I'd touch a button, it would just say, waiting, waiting. And I said, not patiently. I am waiting, but not patiently. So I began to pray the Lord would provide a computer for me, and some friends offered to pay a little over half of what the computer would cost. So I thought, wow, that's amazing. That's wonderful. But I still needed quite a bit, and, and it just got to the point the computer was just not functioning. And so I ordered it and put it on my credit card. Now, that is the first time I have done that in years. I don't go into debt. I just don't do it. I don't owe, as I stand before you, I'm not being proud, I don't owe a person one penny on this planet. I love that. I love that. No one is pressing. Now, if anyone presses me for money, it's because they want a little of what I got, not because I owe them something. But I wanted to get this paid off quickly, and I was convinced the Lord was going to provide, and I just said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you, and I'll work at it. I'll you know, take it out of what I'm earning, and I'll, I'll get that paid off. And it was about just over $500. I sent out a letter to the people who follow my Spanish ministry online. And amongst those are the two ministries that I work for, Got Questions and All About God. Now, All About God and Got Questions used to give me a salary years ago. I haven't had a salary from them for a long, long time. All About God hasn't given me anything for years and years. And I do that work for them every month. I've done it now for 13 years without any pay or anything. And that's the way I like it, and that's fine. That's just the way it is, and I, I love it. But when they got my report and saw that I needed a computer, they know obviously I can't do my internet work, right, without a computer. So something happened that has never happened before. These people called me on the telephone. And it was the president of the organization, his wife called me. Her name is Candy. I thought, that sounds good. Something sweet's coming. Sorry, joke. Candy, right? So she says, uh, this is Candy calling from uh, All About God. We got your letter, and we noticed that you bought a computer recently. And we were just wondering, have you been able to pay for it all? And I said, well, I said, I had friends that paid over half of it, and, and I put the rest of my credit card, and I'm trusting God. She said, how much do you owe? And I told her, exact to the dollar. She said, in three days, there'll be a check at your mailbox. We want to pay. You've done this for us for years. We'd like to do this for you. And so they paid for the rest of my computer. You know what? I was saying, Lord, provide... I thought he would provide for me little by little and I'd pay it off and I, I mean, get, I'd take care. And he just wanted to take care of the whole thing in a moment's time. I want to tell you something. I have a great God who does great things. And so do you. There's not a thing about what I've just shared that God hasn't done for you one time or another in some way. You have seen God do big things for you. Because that's the kind of God we have. Prayer avails much. When you have a righteous heart, you are effective in praying and you are fervent as you come before God in faith, believing He's going to respond. 
And every one of us can do that. Every single one of us. Now we want to see secondly what Paul specifically prayed for. One of the things that I do not like about people praying is when they pray with such generalities, I have no idea what they're even asking God for. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like when we pray, Oh God, bless the missionaries. Do we want God to bless the missionaries? Sure. What does that mean? Does that mean, Lord, give them a little tingle behind the neck today in the Lord? Is that what we want? Is that what we want? No, so well, that's not the blessing. So, Do you think our missionaries should walk intimately with God? Do you think so? Do you think that might be a good qualification for being a servant of God, to be walking in fellowship with God? I want to ask you, do you think missionaries struggle with that? I want to assure you they do. You want to know why? Because they're just like you and me. See, when I, when I have people pray for me, I want you to pray more than anything else that I will walk intimately with God. Because if I walk intimately with God, He will take care of all the rest. But when I'm not right with God, I'm not trusting Him. And when I'm not trusting Him, things just go from bad to worse. Isn't that true? You know, you need to pray for the spiritual lives of your missionaries that they will walk with God and not be tempted by the devil, not be tempted with the flesh, not be tempted by the world. And that's just the beginning. Many times we pray for missionaries and we never mention their kids. And we're so ill-informed about their kids, we see them in our minds just like the first time we ever saw those kids and they're three years old in our mind but today they're 15 because number one we haven't prayed for them in such a long time we haven't even kept up on these kids we have no idea what's going on in their lives and I want to tell you something if a missionary loses his kids he's lost it all Do you understand where I'm going here? Folks, when we pray, we need to be specific. You've heard the old saying, you shoot at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Paul gives a list of petitions here. One after another, and they're all different, touching on a different aspect of the life of the Colossians. But he knew that they needed all of these things. Now what is the petition? That they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Boy, there is so much in that verse. So much. You need to keep in mind the Gnostic heresy that was being promoted at least in a root sense in Colossae. And it was this, that if you want to know God, you, may, you need to participate with a special kind of higher knowledge that only a select few people will ever get. In other words, you have to be 
on the inside, the in crowd, to be able to be saved and go to heaven only as God reveals to you this higher knowledge. You know what Paul says? I'm praying for every Colossian believer to be what? Filled. And the word is filled to overflowing with what? The knowledge of his will. <laughs> you know what he's saying? They think they have this supersized knowledge. He said every Christian can have the knowledge of God in its fullness. Every Christian, not just a few. Not just the privileged few. Now this word knowledge is an advance on the word gnosis. Gnosis is a general Greek word for knowledge in general. The Gnostics took gnosis and they made, added a prefix, epi, epinosis, which kind of means a higher knowledge, something that's way above the norm. It's a larger, a more thorough knowledge, a knowledge which grasps and penetrates into an object. It's not just an on-the-surface knowledge. It is a deep knowledge. And what we find is that the Apostle Paul takes that word, epinosis, that they were misusing, and he takes the very same word and says, that's not for the privileged few, that's for every single one of you Colossian believers. But he said you have to have knowledge in a specific area. Knowledge of God's will. Now when it comes to you and I knowing God's will, what is that referring to? Well, it has to do with the conduct of our lives in the will of God. Because you see, while there are some things that's God's will of all of us, like it's God's will that we all pray, it's God's will that we all read the Bible, it's God's will that we all go to church, there are certain things that are true of all of us, but I want you to understand there are some things that God wants you to do that he only wants you to do. You need to know God's will for the conduct of your life. By the way, do you have relationships that are unique to you? And do you need wisdom from God as to how to carry out those relationships? I mean, do you have anyone that you know that's hard to deal with? And only God can help you and I in that moment of facing that person to know what to say. We were kind of talking about that before. I was talking with Angel about that. And she said, people say these things about God without even thinking. Things that are so far from the truth. He says, I want to know how to respond. I want to know what to say. Listen, don't you think God can show us what to say? But he needs to show you because you know that person and you're the one that will have the conversation, not me. So he says, you need to know God's will for the conduct of your life. Now this is a familiar verse to us. Do not be conformed to this world. Which simply means, don't take the mold of this world. Don't live like worldly people. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says what? Change your way of thinking. Because we're born into this world thinking like sinners and thinking like the world. And he says, once you become a Christian, you need to transform and renew your mind. And who do we need to think like now? Like God. 
How do I know what God thinks? His precious word. So he says, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, what? Prove. Now that's an interesting word because in the Greek it means prove in order to approve. Get it? Prove in order to approve. In other words, find out what God's will is so that you can then agree with it and say, yes, God, I will do your will. The problem is sometimes we find out what God wants us to do and then we don't do it. That is disobedience to God. That is sinful. He says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect what? Will of God. He says, if you want to know exactly what God wants you to do, guess what? Don't be conformed to the world. Think like the Lord by filling your mind with the word of God. And guess what? He will show you what he wants and then he'll give you the strength to do it. Now, he goes on to talk with them, wanting to have not only this knowledge, but he wants them to have spiritual fullness. He doesn't want them to be on the surface. It's not enough to be able to know the names of the first man and woman who ever lived. Most people know that's who. That's who, folks? Adam and Eve, right? But when the Bible talks about Adam being the first Adam, do you know what that means? And who's the second one? Well, you know, that's Christ. But here's my point. There's a difference between knowing the name of a guy and understanding what his life is typical of and what his life means in the program of God. One is knowledge, but the other one is a, is a deeper knowledge. He says, I want you to be filled with knowledge, literally, to be completely filled and controlled. Now, this is, this is super important. Now, there, one of the ways you can understand what a word means is to see how it's used in other passages in the Bible. In John chapter 16 and verse 6, it says the disciples' hearts were filled with sorrow. That's the same Greek word. They were filled with sorrow when Jesus told them of his departure. How, how sad do you think the disciples were when Jesus told them he was leaving them? Do you think they felt pretty bad about that? They were filled with sorrow. It overcame them. It controlled them to the point that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He had to step in and comfort and encourage them because they were so overwhelmed with sorrow. Luke 5.26 tells us that the crowd was filled with fear after Jesus healed the paralytic. Listen, folks. If someone was here this morning and had the ability to do an outstanding miracle that could not be proved except that it is a miracle from God, do you think that might get your attention? 
says this crowd was filled with what? With awe of God because of this great miracle. The scribes and the Pharisees were filled with rage after Jesus healed on the Sabbath. How did they react when Jesus did work on the Sabbath? They get so angry. In fact, sometimes they wanted to take him out and what? And kill him! They were what? They were filled with rage. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, do you think God gives the Holy Spirit in spurts? You know what I mean? A little today and a little tomorrow. A little the next day. Folks, you either have the Holy Spirit or you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. You're either saved or you're lost. And the evidence of that is having the Spirit living inside of you. You will never get more of the Spirit than you have right now unless you're lost and don't have the Spirit and then you need Him. But I tell you what the Holy Spirit needs more of today. He needs a bigger spur to me. Hmm? He needs to be more in control of my mind. And he needs to be more in control of my tongue. And he needs to be more in control of my eyes. And in control of my hands and in control of my feet. He needs more control of me. But I don't need more of him. It says that Stephen was full of faith. I want to tell you something. You'd want to have faith if you stand before the crowd and declare that they were responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're picking up stones and they're going to stone you to death. He didn't have just the itty-witty-bitty kind of faith. He was full of faith. And what Paul is saying here is that you and I need to be filled to overflowing and controlled by what is filling us. And what is it? It is the knowledge of God's will. He wants the Colossians filled and controlled by God's will for their lives. Listen, if all you want to do is the will of God and you devote yourself to the will of God, you are more apt to do it. If you aren't even thinking about God's will, you're less apt to do it. That's why one of the things that I do in the morning, and it's such a simple thing, most of us, when we get up in the morning or even the night before we go to bed, we start thinking about the next day and we begin thinking about some of the things that we hope to get accomplished the next day, right? Don't you do that? Especially if you're a to-do person and you have your nice little list and I'm, I'm a, I'm a to-do person. Do you know what? I get up in the morning and part of my prayer time is to pray through the events of the day that I'm anticipating. Now, some of those things may never happen, right? God may intervene and there'll be something else coming the way and I don't get to what I plan to do, but I think we need to have a plan. Lord, what do you want me to accomplish by the end of this day? Because if I have no plan, I'll come to the end of the day and I won't know if I got anything done. Does that make sense? So, so 
yesterday I was praying first of all about my devotional time and then my prayer time and then I the very next thing I did was take my laundry downstairs and I had prayed that the Lord would as I mentioned before would be with me as I went down and while I was putting them in the machine and coming back up the stairs and then Lord you know I plan to go right on into my office and I'm going to answer these questions and Lord you know that I'm going to these are the things I plan to do unless you interrupt my plans and if you do that's okay in fact that's probably better right but you know what I come to the end of the day and I think back to first thing in the morning when I thought through about all these things that I was going to try to get done you know what I have a means of evaluating whether I accomplished in the day the things that I felt the Lord wanted me to do and if I have to go back and say Lord there were ten things and I only got half of one done He said, I want you to be filled and controlled by the knowledge of God's will so that every step you take, you say, Lord, lead me and I will follow. The scripture says he will lead me in the way I ought to go, but he can't lead me if I'm not prepared to follow. So show me, Lord. Oh dear, okay, I'm going to stop. Because what he's going to do now is he's going to qualify what the knowledge of God is. Because he says, I want you to really know what the knowledge of God is, and it has to do with a couple of words that were very, very special to the Gnostics. Wisdom and understanding, or knowledge. It's another word for knowledge, but has a little bit different swing to it. So rather than just barely get started, I'm going to just stop. And it is, after all, 1 after 12, right? You didn't notice that? Any of your bellies grumbling? Well, mine is, so it's time to go. Folks, listen, if I can just leave you with this thought, God wants your prayer life to be effective and fervent and to accomplish much. And the only way that's ever going to happen is as you know to the fullest extent possible His will for your life and you live in obedience to that will because you have to be a righteous man or woman for God to answer your prayers. Kern and I have been talking a lot. We meet regularly and pray for the church and talk about what we feel are the needs within our congregation. And I, one of my absolute greatest concerns in these days is the prayer life of this church. We used to have three prayer meetings. We had a Wednesday night prayer time, which was a typical Wednesday night. And I think the highest we've ever been on Wednesday night was seven. And that was one night. Generally, we have about six people there. Guess how many we have right now? Three. Royal and Vicky and me. It's a good thing we love each other because we spend a lot of time together. 
And I'm not saying that to make them proud, and I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm simply saying, I believe if God is going to bless this church and we're going to see God do marvelous things, it will be through, in part, corporate prayer. Now, right now, we're not having the Thursday morning one because we're not having the Thursday Bible study. That's a legitimate thing for now. But you know, when we started, we have a Sunday morning, 9 a.m. prayer time. You know how many used to come when we started? Fourteen to sixteen at nine a.m. And I got to tell you, it shocked me because when I announced it, I had no idea how many would come, and there were a lot more came than I had anticipated. And I was really excited about that, but you know, over time. You know how many we had this morning? Four. Now, there's some folks that come in, you know, a little bit later. We try to start at nine. Sometimes we don't get started right on time. But sometimes some will come in and they will join us, and that's great. That's wonderful. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm, I'm just saying, folks, prayer is one of the priorities in God's local church. And we, I'm not talking about your prayer life. Are you listening to me carefully? I'm not talking about your individual prayer lives. That's between you and God. Only you in your closet ought to know about that. Right? I'm talking about corporate prayer. I'm talking about church-wide prayer. And what I'm telling you is that our church falls greatly short. And we need not so that we can say, Whoo, look at the numbers. I could. God knows my heart. I could care less about the numbers. I want people together to pray because prayer will set free the power of God in our midst. I encourage you if you can. And I know that not all of you can. I understand it. But if you could possibly come to one of our prayer times, folks, at least for me, it's such an encouragement to pray with other Christians. I just really love that. I need it. I need it. Your pastor needs you, not just to pray for him when you're home alone. Sometimes your pastor needs to hear you pray for him when you're sitting in a pew behind him or in front of him or somewhere around. Because I can't see or hear your spirits. I can only see and hear you when you're around. Right? I love you, folk. I really do. I love this church. I just want us to be everything as a church God wants us to be. And one of those things is we need to be a praying church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your people. Lord, if all I just accomplished was guilt, then wipe it away. Because that's not what I wanted at all. If I did that, I failed. What I wanted to do was, Lord, encourage your people with the importance of corporate prayer. 
I know that you can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But what is clear about that same verse, not only that you can do anything, it says we need to ask. You have not, James said, because you ask not. Take your word and apply it to our lives, Lord. Help us to be a praying people, not just on a personal level, but on a corporate level. May you use our church to have a great impact for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things, for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.